Hi, and welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or CUBIST. We are a bi-weekly podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, otherwise known as DIVBIC. And I'm your host, Inbal Eschel, a speech-language pathologist with over a decade of experience treating civilians and service members with TBI. I currently craft clinical recommendations here at DIVBIC. In each episode, I will interview DIVBIC subject matter experts who will highlight current TBI research of particular interest to healthcare providers. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Ann Bunner, who is a biologist and program analyst at DIVBIC with broad clinical and laboratory research experience. She will talk about TBI research that has received significant media attention. In today's episode, Ann and I discuss mild TBI, also known as concussion, and Alzheimer's disease. Although we know that moderate to severe TBI is a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, we know a lot less about whether concussion carries a similar risk. We'll explore a study by J.P. Hayes, who examined this relationship in Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans between the ages of 19 and 58, many of whom had TBIs. You can refer to the Cubist SoundCloud page for the full citation and PubMed link. All right, let's get started. Anne, what made you choose this paper? So this article actually got a fair amount of press coverage, including a write-up in the UK paper, The Daily Mail, and Eureka Alert, which is a blog maintained by the same people who published the scientific journal Science. And of course, the focus on veterans, it, for the focus on veterans, it was particularly interesting to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe you could give us just a quick synopsis of the article so that we have kind of a starting point. Sure. So the objective of the researchers was to look at the intersection between genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease and traumatic brain injury history and how that overlaps with Alzheimer's disease. And the way that they assess Alzheimer's disease was not by looking for diagnoses, because usually that happens when people are of advanced age, but really actually looking at neuroimaging findings that suggest that people might be on their way to uh, the early stages of Alzheimer's, and then also looking at the, um, the their performance on a memory test, which can also be very suggestive of the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. Okay. And what were they trying to really learn about this population? They wanted to know whether people with genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease respond to traumatic brain injury differently. So does the genetic component alter how traumatic brain injury history contributes to the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Is there a, an interaction effect is what we say in clinical research. So if you have one factor that it may not increase your risk very much, and if you have another risk factor, it may not actually have that much of an impact. But if the two factors combined have an impact, we call that an interaction effect. And so can you tell us a little bit more about the kind of genetic risk and how they would assess for that? Sure. So listeners may be familiar with a protein called apolipoprotein E, which is a pretty well-characterized gene um, in the world of Alzheimer's disease risk. And it's been investigated for a number, of, for its link to a number of other conditions as well. And so if a gene is like a grape, um, ApoE or apolipoprotein E has um, four different colors. So grapes come in red, green, and black. Genes come in uh, different alleles, and apolipoprotein E has four alleles, one of which is high risk for Alzheimer's disease. But there are 
lots of other changes that happen naturally in our genomes as, you know, as our population is, is, is diversified. So, but there are many other small changes, small individual differences between people spread all across the genome. And researchers have done genome-wide association studies to look for small genome changes that ha happen to contribute to Alzheimer's disease risk that aren't necessarily in these very well-characterized genes like APOE that can, you know, make headlines. So genome-wide association studies have found other genetic factors that when combined are more predictive of Alzheimer's disease than APOE alone. So this analysis can be calculated, can be used to calculate what's called a polygenetic risk score that takes into account small changes all over the genome that contribute to Alzheimer's risk. And so tell me what were the findings that relate to this polygenetic risk as far as this study goes? The main outcome that they were looking at was cortical thinning, and they were looking at 14 specific brain regions that are particularly vulnerable to Alzheimer's disease, so seven regions on each side of the brain, right and left. So they were looking at the, the, the thickness of the, the cerebral cortex, and what they found was that people with both TBI history and a high polygenetic risk of Alzheimer's disease had more cortical thinning than people with neither of those factors or just one of those factors. So there was an interaction effect, which is consistent with their hypothesis, that people with this genetic risk respond more strongly to a history of TBI in terms of the development of some of these neurodegenerative features that are indicative of perhaps, maybe indicative of the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And so is this kind of a new or novel finding, or is this fairly consistent with the literature that is already out there? So it's, it's known that moderate and severe TBI uh, are environmental risk factors for the development of Alzheimer's disease. The literature on concussion is much more mixed. So it is news that we now have identified a subpopulation that with mild CBI can experience an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. And it's also consistent with uh, previous research showing that there is a strong genetic component for Alzheimer's disease risk. This is novel because we're really looking at the interaction of those two factors, TBI history and polygenetic risk. So if I am a provider and I were going to explain this to my patient who, let's say, came into my office and said, I had a TBI and now I'm going to get Alzheimer's, what, how do you think I, as a provider, could explain this interaction, this, this complex interaction? So I think it's really important uh, when patients are responding to media reports about these sorts of studies to really try to tone down whatever alarmism may have um, been present in the original journalism that they were exposed to. Because sometimes science reporting can be a little over the top. And it cannot take into account things like limitations. One of the limitations of this study was that there was no one that was actually diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. They were looking at memory tests and neuroimaging findings. Also, there were very few women in the study. So these results sh probably shouldn't be extrapolated to, to women. So 
But in terms of what to tell your patients, so if someone comes in with a mild TBI and they're scared about long-term risks, I think it's important to emphasize that we really don't know a whole lot about how mild TBI contributes to the risk of uh, subsequent neurodegenerative diseases because the evidence is really mixed, especially with Alzheimer's disease. If we're talking about someone with moderate and severe TBI, then I think it's important to just be honest that the increase in risk is fairly modest. There's still a great deal we don't know. And also to acknowledge that Alzheimer's disease risk has a number of different components, including lifestyle components. So people can stay healthy, they can prevent further um, traumatic brain injuries, and they can improve their cardiovascular health, which can um, limit their risk for vascular dementia. That's really, really helpful. So basically to kind of keep things in, in context and to recognize that the science hasn't evolved to the state where we could say anything definitive about any of these connections. But this article has brought to light that there do seem to be some interactions that I think we might want to just keep our eye on in the future as the, the research field continues to develop. Does that sound about right? Exactly. Thank okay. you, Involve. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is there anything else that you think um, a provider might be interested in taking away from this article? So I found it really interesting that this the memory test that they use, which was a delayed memory test, which has been around for a number of decades, it was first published in 1989 and 1991, that it was able to distinguish with 90% accuracy between uh, seniors who were in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease and healthy seniors. Um, in, so the, the test involved um, hearing a list of words and then waiting 20 minutes and seeing if they could recall, how many words they could recall. Okay. And this had very high levels of accuracy. So this might be something that providers might not know about. It's nice to know that there are some tools out there that at least in the research have shown to be so effective at distinguishing between these two groups. And it'll be interesting to follow and track you know, future research to see whether there might be some clinical implications or whether that could be useful um, in the clinical setting. Yes, okay. absolutely. All right, <laughs> great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anne. That's all we have time for today. We hope you found this episode informative. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about the podcast or about DivBig products or programs, please feel free to email us at info at That's info at dvbic.org. Cubist is produced and edited by Terry Welch and Deborah Balin and is hosted by me, Inbal Eschel. It's a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, commanded by Army Colonel Jeffrey Grammer and the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, commanded by Navy Captain Mike Colston. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with neurosurgeon Dr. Don Marion. Dr. Marion is a senior clinical consultant at DivBic, and we'll be talking about current concussion research. See you then.